Amen. I want to first start off this morning by thanking all of you men. We took about 20 men this week, if you didn't know, to Wind River Ranch outside of Estes Park, Colorado, and just thank you men, uh, all 20 of you. We we worked hard. We're uh, a little bit tired, I know, today, but uh, God fills us up, right? And through our giving, that's who we're called to be, men of harvest. You guys show, showed up. You rose up. Thank you. Uh, we've just been back a couple of days, and I am so excited just to report that I've already heard from Wind River Ranch. Wind River Ranch, I know some of you are with us this morning there outside of Estes Park. Welcome to Harvest Connection. Uh, we, we know that God has a word for you this morning as well. I'm going to ask if you will this morning to let's honor the word. I appreciated what uh, uh, here a while back what Buddy Young had you do. He said, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture, the word of God. And so I'm going to ask you to please stand at this time. This scripture is not found on your screens, but it's found in my notes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You may be seated. Boy, that gets us excited for this morning's message, doesn't it? Wow. You know, I'm going to tell you, I've read that scripture many times in my life. I actually taught on this scripture probably a year, maybe two years ago in Brave Hearts. And this scripture is always kind of one of those that jumps out at me and I go, oh my goodness, I've done all those things in your name, Jesus. I'm a little concerned for my own salvation because he doesn't say depart from me for you never knew me. He says, depart from me for I never knew you. That, 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 that's a huge Word of caution. We're starting a new sermon series this morning, and I'm just laying some groundwork, some foundational work. The name of the series is Transformation because our call is not to be full of information. It's called, our calling is to be transformed into the image of Christ. When I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, the aseity of Christ, we must find ourselves in Christ in order to be worthy of the kingdom of God. And so this is very important to me as we speak about it this morning. In the next few weeks, I'm going to be lining out some things for myself and you as well. Some things that we can do, not things that we just hear, not not just a faith that is inactive, but we are going to look to activate our faith through being transformed into the image of God because Paul, the apostle, tells us that we are the bride of Christ and we are to be presented back to him without spot or wrinkle. I'm not a very good ironer. But there's some things I know in me that God wants to iron out. And there's some things in our church that I believe God wants to iron out. I don't preach so that one day we'll have a mega church. I preach for the kingdom of God to come. And how he determines he wants to do that. He tells us not to go into all the world and get them excited about me, get them informed of me. He says, no, go out into all the world and disciple them into me. Because it's in him where our righteousness is found. It's in him where his mercy is found. It's in him where we learn to love beyond ourselves. It's in him where we have the opportunity and the ability to pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Captain Smith of the Titanic, there's two things that I really enjoy in life. One is this, I love the air. Not just the air I breathe. I I love 
to, to, to fly planes. I just love, many of you didn't know that I was a pilot. I'm probably the only pilot in here that's been a pilot and never left the ground. <laughs> Figure that one out. But I absolutely love it. I've always wanted to leave the ground. I, I just love the air. I love walking to the edge of the canyon. I love watching the birds fly. I love every now and then we'll have an eagle that comes through and we always have buzzards. I don't know what that means, but we always have, but I love the air. The other thing I really do like, I love water. I like the water. I like to be on the water. I actually do have a boat, and I have piloted my boat many times. And I like to go out into the water. I like to jump off the boat. I love to swim. I love to ski. I love to tube. I love to fish. I just love it. I love the air and the water. The earth, on the other hand, I love it too. You know, a few years ago, the story came out about the Titanic being found and Captain Smith was the, the captain of the Titanic. No one really knows why he went into the side of the iceberg, but it is noted that he wanted to make a name for himself and his ship. He was concerned more about his kingdom than even the people's lives. And so he continued to trudge forward because this ship was known as the unsinkable ship. And most of us have heard about the disaster of the Titanic. It was known as the, as this unsinkable ship, but when it sank, it took with it, 1,500 people to their deaths. For years, it was thought that the, that the Titanic hit a giant iceberg and a huge hole was ripped in the side of the ship, but scientists have recently discovered that the damage was relatively small. Instead of a big gash ripping down the side, really, there were just six narrow slits that were made along the side of the Titanic. However, these slits extended through all six of the watertight chambers. That's amazing to me. So they had chambers upon chambers. So they thought, well, if this one's damaged, it will still remain afloat. If this one's damaged, if two or three of them are damaged, it will still remain afloat. It will still continue to move on. It is unsinkable. But the interesting thing about the slits, they went through all six. The damage was small and invisible to most observers, but it sank a huge ship and brought grief to thousands and thousands of people. Look, life circumstances and situations can and do affect us at the deepest levels. Yet above the service, we still attempt to look like everything is fine. We have life by the tail. This is also how the Pharisees tended to look. They acted this way. Everything was just dandy in their eyes. But below the surface, an undercurrent was pulling them far away from God. And when Jesus addressed the Pharisees, he was like, woe to you, woe to you. You are called to be the people of God, and yet your hearts are far from me. You have drifted far from me, and yet your call is to be the people of God. Church, church. We are called to be the people of God among the world today. And the last thing we want to hear is depart from me for I never knew you or that your hearts are far away from me. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we're to go back and self-evaluate, that we are to evaluate ourselves even prior to taking communion, to look in to yourself. How is it between yourself and the Lord. Does it look good on the surface, but under the depths of the water, we're truly damaged? You see, we say things that are just familiar. You know, I call it Christianese. 
You've heard that term probably before. If you've been around Christians long enough, well, God's working on me. I don't know why I did it, but God's just going to have to do a work on me. God works in mysterious ways. We had, oh, I love this one. I pinned this one in yesterday. We had church today. But the question really should be this. Were we the church today? Right? You know, in church, we don't have discussions. Mm -mm. What do we have? We share. I'm going to share with you. I'm not going to discuss. I'm going to share, right? Christians don't gossip. We have prayer requests. I'm just... I'm just, I'm just going to beat you up a little bit today, all right, church, because, because I'm in this too. You understand? I'm, I'm supposed to be leading this group. And what? We don't make decisions in the church. We're led by the Spirit. God showed up and showed out today. Well, He's wanting to do that every day. And then how many times do we just listen to someone and pat them on the back and send them on the way and say, have a blessed day? When in reality, they're sinking, they're hurting, they're needing. You know, it's not that these are all wrong, but they're very superficial. And superficial Christianity has become a way of our culture today. It has a language, but those cliche statements are not enough when the ship begins to sink. It's not transformational. Look, it's just conventional. And we live in a day and time where Christianity has become conventional Christianity. God, you better show up when I'm distressed, when I'm hurting, when my circumstances are beyond what the preacher preaches on Sunday morning. I need you now, Lord, but I didn't need you yesterday. I need you today, Lord, because I have a family member that's sick. I have a family member that's hurting. I myself am in this situation, in this predicament. So God, I need you to show up, but I didn't need you yesterday. I just needed the convenience of being able to say, I'm a Christian. Got it all figured out. But when our air pockets get damaged and the ship is fighting to stay afloat, these statements are not enough. You know, we are, uh, if we were arrested for our Christianity, let me just ask this, would there be enough evidence to convict us? If we were going to be arrested for our Christianity, if we were going to be arrested for our faith in Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict us? I've been evaluating my own life over the past several weeks. I'm pulled in every direction, and time gets away from me, away from my marriage, away from my wife, away from my church, away from my life. And if I'm not careful, I too will begin to speak Christianese as well, probably better than most. And in this series, I pray to go deep into self-discovery, but more importantly, into kingdom discovery. See, I don't mean to be critical or hypocritical, but I want us to be real in who we are and who we claim to be. You see, clay will always be clay if it never finds itself in the hand of the potter. And we must find ourselves in the hand of the potter to be formed and transformed into the image of Christ for the world today. That's our call. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, don't, don't let this scare you yet. He's saying do not love, but the Greek word he uses here for love we'll talk about in just a moment. 
He goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now notice he doesn't say the one who hears the will of God. He doesn't say the one that is informed by the will of God. He says the one who does the will of God. Now we don't do to become. That's not what I'm trying to preach, much less teach in this congregation. We know that it's by our faith that we're made well. It's through our faith. It's through our belief in Christ Jesus. It's through the profession of our mouth, Romans 10, 9, and the belief in our heart that we are saved. It's not for salvinic purposes, but it is for kingdom purpose that we become doers, not just hearers of the word. Worldliness. Worldliness worldliness is not so much a matter of activity as it is of attitude. It's just the way it is. Worldliness not only affects your response to the love of God, it also affects your response to the will of God. First John 2, 7, if you were to back it up a little bit, this is what the, the Scripture says. The world passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So there's the promise again. Who, he who does what? The will of God. So in order for us to do the will of God, wouldn't it make sense that we would be transformed into what God would have us be or become as the bride of Christ so that his will would be what's found throughout us into this world. He mentions three categories of sin here. And these three categories I've brought up before, he reduces sin to basically these three parts. The lust of the flesh. Let's talk about the lust of the flesh because you may not know what that means. Well, have you ever lusted Someone? I mean, let's just be honest. We got to be real. Lust is a very, very demonic thing in our culture today. Lust is being thrown out before us all the time. Pornography is at an all-time high, and the reason why is because Satan is able to put it right here on phones. He's able to put it right here on computers, and, and, and the world is telling the women to take it off. And it's amazing to me that that is not God's will. That's not his purpose. That's not his plan. That's what devalues and unappreciates women in our culture today. But that's not enough. Men got to take it off too. You know, it wasn't but 20 years ago that really the majority by far, like five, all but 5% to 10%, 20, 25 years ago of all pornographic addictions, were uh, 90 to 95% were, were men. But today, those statistics of women are between 30 and 40%. What is going on? Well, it's this lust of the flesh. It's self-gratification, homosexuality, these affairs, all these other things are stemming from this lust of the flesh. Alcoholism, drug addiction, eating addictions, laziness, slothfulness. You know, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says it's sin in our members, that the very flesh that we have desires to sin. And so Jesus, what does he say? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And that sounds morbid, but what he's saying is you can't unless you are transformed into my image. You don't have the ability. Because sin is found in your members. 
from the Adamic sin until we are born again in Christ. And that's where the transformation begins to take place. But careful, because many churches are simply claiming, well, you're forgiven anyway. Well, you're, well, if you're forgiven, my question then becomes this. If you're forgiven and you are being transformed into the image of Christ and Christ, he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so that the kingdom of God would be found upon this earth is the kingdom being expressed through unrighteous behavior. Absolutely not. Our only hope is to be found in Christ. And then he talks about the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes to me could be defined as greed, wanting what you don't have. Just wanting what you don't have, bigger, better, faster, higher, further. Look, I've been that guy many times in my life. Sometimes I'm still that guy. I mean, I mean, Christmas Eve, the service is just starting. And a guy walks in and you know who you are. I'm not going to point you out in this church, but you go to this church. You're a leader in this church. And you showed up with new tennis shoes on. <laughs> on Christmas Eve. And my first question to you was, are those fast? <laughs> and you know what he told me? He said, they're real fast. So while y'all were in here worshiping, I took him out there in that hallway with these boots on and I beat him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did cheat a little bit, all right, but I'm just saying. Why? Because I want to be bigger. I want to be better. I want to be faster. I want to jump higher. I want to go further. Desire is not bad, but if desire gets in the way of your godliness, of your holiness, if your desire has to take someone else in order to bring you to a place of glorification, it's dangerous. You know, the lust of the eyes gets us in so much trouble. Seeing others' faults and pointing them out instead of wanting to engage them the way Jesus engaged his culture and the way Jesus said, come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're burdened, come to me. I've got something better for you. I'm not going to point your fault out. I'm going to help you be an overcomer because the promise is to those who overcome, to the perseverance of the saints. And then the third one he, he points out here is the boastful pride of life. The boastful pride of life, I, I, I choose to call this comparison. You know, oftentimes when we compete, competition brings division. That's, that's, and, and look, I think it's all right. I love track. We're in track season or right at the end of track season. If anybody posts a relay, if anybody posts a race, I don't care if it's hurdles or what, I'm going to watch it on my Facebook. I've got to see this. I've got to know their time. I got to know if they ran the 300 hurdles faster than me. It doesn't matter. This boastful pride of life. Now, that type of competition is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a comparison that actually has to belittle the other one in order to move you up because it's more about your kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And Jesus said it this way, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your own kingdom. You know, when I compare myself with you, I always win because I compare my strengths with your weaknesses. This is how we do it in our culture today. And, and, and it's, it's not right. There's nothing transformational about that. You know, the been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Well, listen, I got the suit. Throw that t-shirt away. The boastful pride of life. Older men refusing to learn from the younger or vice versa. 
is, is very, it, it, we're at a dangerous place today because a lot of times the younger men, the younger women don't want to learn from the older men, the older women today. And they have been there and they have done that and they have seen change. And by the way, they've even seen political change. But they know how to live through it. They know how to pray through it. It's so important. You know, we're to seek His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be given to you is what the Scripture says. The question is, do we believe it? Are we transformed enough in order to see how God sees? In order to do as God does? Do we know His Word? Do we have a value for the Word of God today? Because listen, the next generation that comes up, if they value the Word any less, they drift all the more further and they stand more at risk of their ship sinking in their faith. So how do we fight this? I'm glad you asked. We must know the Word of God. Listen, we need to value the Word of God. Information alone, and you're going to get this in the next couple of weeks, information alone does not bring transformation, but it's a start. It is a start. But the Word of God comes to us three different ways, which I'll unpack soon. But you need to know this. It needs to start there. We need to have a value for the Word of God. So oftentimes when I'm counseling a couple, I'll just ask them, what does the Word of God say about that? Well, I don't know, Pastor. You're supposed to know that. Well, He gave it to you too, right? All of us have the opportunity right now. God so loved us that He not only gave us Jesus, but He gave us a way to know Him more intimately. And it's there for each and every one of us. When you think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and he's tempted, what happens? He fasts, he, he fasts his fifth. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay, Matthew chapter 4. This, this is what it says. It says, and the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Man, that, that, that also is another one that's hard for me to read. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, into a place that in some ways is unfamiliar. He leads him into this place to be tempted by who? By the devil himself. And Jesus had just come off a fast, a 40-day fast. So he's going to be hungry. And the very first temptation that shows up for Jesus is, hey, the devil shows up and he says, look, you're Jesus. Command those stones to be bred. You've got the power. You've got the ability. You don't have to walk around hungry. And Jesus says it is not good for man to live by bread alone, but on the very word of God. He answers. He fights the devil with the word of God. You see, we don't defend what we don't know. If we don't know the word of God, then we will not defend in that way. So oftentimes, We're helpless. And God said, I never intended you to be helpless. I intended you to be transformed. In my image, that's why I gave you this. It's essential for us believers. Remember, what we put in oftentimes is what we get out. Then we must look at worshiping the Lord. A great way to be transformed is to learn how to worship. 
Because the culture teaches us to worship all of these small idols, to put yourself on the throne, to talk about your own kingdom. But Jesus said, wait a second, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And one of the ways we seek his kingdom first is through the opportunity and the ability that God has given us to worship him. What does that look like in your life? You know, our heart is established in worship. It's established in the truth of God. It's established in, in singing his word back to him, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. What worship does is it opens our heart up so that God can ride on it. Oh, and then it becomes permanent in here. It's not just up here. It becomes transformational because it's here. Verse 8 of Matthew 4, again, the devil took him to a high mountain, and I know it's a little out of order here, took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you. Speaking of the world, all these things I'll give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him and do the things of him only. That's it. See, it's definitely a temptation of the eyes to look at the world and say, I want all of that. It all could be yours if you would just worship me. Worship the world and its ways. Alice and I got a confession to make about three weeks ago. I disappeared in the afternoon and she called me and said, where'd you go? I said, I'll be back here in about 30, 45 minutes. Had to run to Walmart. That was true. But I was texting the guy who had a DRZ 400 for sale. Now, you don't know what that is. It's a, it's a motorcycle. It's a Suzuki, and it was a 2002. It was the perfect model for me. And, and my son has one. He's got the 200 model. I wanted the 400 model because I look a little big on that 200, and it's one of the things that we really like to do together. So I, so I, I, I asked the guy, hey, would you consider this price? He said, if you'll come, come get it, I'll consider this price. And I'm going to tell you what, it was cheap. And so I drove over to his house. He had it sitting out there for me, had it running. I took it out on the street, man. I just tearing it up. I was like, this is the bike for me. And when my son gets home from AM, I'm going to have it parked right next to his. And I'm going to say, look at big daddies. <laughs> it is time to go. It's time to travel. Now, our finances are tight. We got kids running everywhere with all kinds of things. And, and there is no doubt that, uh, sometimes we wind up with too much month at the end of the money. But so I, 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 I slowed down and I said, you know what, Lord, I do not want to pray about this, <laughs> but I'm going to say a prayer and I don't want to worship myself, my desires, my, my own person. I'm trying to be transformed. I really am trying. I want to be a fun loving older man, not an old grumpy man. And so as I prayed over this, I told the guy, hang on. He, matter of fact, he said, man, I'm going to take you. I, I, if you're making that offer right now, I said, no, will you take? And he said, yeah. So well, let me pray about it. Let me go over here and pray about it. So I go over there and this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, you know what? Are you willing to give it to me? Because we got a couple of special offerings coming up. Will you give that to me? And I went, oh, man. no, I knew you would say that. <laughs> It's why I wasn't going to ask you in the first place. And so I don't have it. But this is what I know. I'm far more excited about what God's going to do with that. He may have spared my life. He knows how reckless I am anyway. 
So, so who knows how that will pan? But do you ever pray over those things? Big financial decisions. Sometimes the Lord says, why don't you give it to me? Why don't you seek my kingdom first? The third thing that we see here is spend time with the Father for transformation to really begin to happen. We've got to spend time. Now, there's an integral scripture, integral. There's a word there that I can't pronounce, but I'm going to tell you something. There's a scripture that we're going to unpack here in a couple of weeks that's going to help us understand this, but we need to learn to spend time with the Father, not just reading for informational purposes. You know, we say this a lot, that information plus application equals a belief system. And that is true. I would take it one step further. I would say information plus application plus repetition will, will help you with your belief system. It's so important that we spend time with God, hear His voice in our life, be encouraged by Him. Listen, don't just read, but listen to what He says to us as individuals. In verse 5 of Matthew 4, then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, the devil knows the word of God as well, but he's not a doer of the word of God. He just has the knowledge. Big difference. What sets us apart from the devil? I know, I know some Christians that sometimes, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I had a man one time, a pastor, he told me, he said, Hey, I've got six elders. I'm going to tell you something. I'll put those six elders against a hundred other elders anytime that they want to go at it scripturally. Did you know today he doesn't have one elder? It's, it's a dangerous thing to throw things like that out there. You see, we can't take credit for ourselves. Satan knows the Word of God too. What differentiates us is we know God and we desire to do His will upon this earth. And so Jesus answers with the Word of God. He is the Word of God and He's going to become the greatest doer of the Word of God that mankind will ever know. And that brings transformation. It brings transformation. Being a doer of the word will bring us to a place of being transformed into the image of God because people are no longer just hearing about it. They're witnessing it in your life, in my life, in the life of the church. So let's talk and end this message with this. Do not love the world. Going back to what the Apostle John said. Do not love the world or the things in it. it. It sounds like, well, if we're not to love the world, then God, why did you put us in the world? And Jesus prays about that in John chapter 17. I mean, what, what, is he, what does he want us to know? Well, the word there is agape, which you've heard me say. Agape is God's love. And what he's saying is, if you love the things of the world, if you love the world more than me, then you have false idols set up in front of you and you will not be my witness among the nations. You see, for agape love can only be given by the God of love. That's the only way it happens. It is an undeserving love. And he's saying, don't exchange me for the things of this world. 
for my kingdom will not come upon this earth if you continue to make exchanges for where I'm supposed to be. Another ship that was lost at sea was a ship that was carrying some Presbyterians. You may have heard of the Spaffords. Horatio Spafford, he wrote back in the 1870s a famous hymn that all of us have sung if you've been around church any time at all. It is well with my soul. And in the 1870s, it's, or maybe it was the late 1860s, they lost their house in the Chicago fire. He was actually not just a Presbyterian deacon, but he was also a very, very prominent attorney in Chicago. And if you know his story at all, he was, he, he had scheduled a vacation for his family. They were going over to Europe across the Atlantic. And right before they were to leave, he had some business come up. So he sent his wife and his four children across the Atlantic while he stayed behind and was going to join up with them a couple of days later. And as his family went across the Atlantic, they struck another ship, a British ship, and their ship sunk. And all four of his daughters drowned which at that time was all of his kids. And his wife survived. She, she was actually found on a piece of the shipwreck, passed out, and they were able to save her. And so he had, had sent, or she had sent a message over to him telling him what had happened. So he boarded a ship, and as he crossed the Atlantic and came up on that place, he sat down in that ship. He sought out the Lord, and I want you to know what was beneath the surface in him. He penned these words. He started out, when peace like a river attendeth my way. So he doesn't even start out with, when tragedy shows up, when my circumstances grow higher than the words of the preacher. He doesn't start there. He says, when peace. Oh my goodness. He starts out here, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And then when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It's amazing to me, four years later, they would have a son. And the son would die, I believe, at the age of three or four as well. It seemed like tragedy just kept befalling him. You know, what happened to Horatio normally would turn a man against God, asking, why me? But what belied the surface of the water was a terrible thing. That's true. But his wife, his kids, his family, he must have thought, if only I would have been with them. If only I would have been there. If only I had them wait here for me. I'm sure all the if-onlys were trying to attack him. I'm sure Satan was saying, see, you need to just bow down to me. From the physical, what lies beneath the surface seemed overwhelming. A family, a ship, lives taken way too soon. But obviously what lied beneath The surface in Horatio Spafford was a faith that was immovable. A faith that gave hope for a future. A faith that gave strength for the day. A faith that was a glacier below the surface as well. He had been transformed. 
and understood that life is temporal, but our God is eternal. And the most important thing we can do is be transformed into His image so that we too can view this world from His lens. Would you please stand? I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. And as the altar team makes their way forward this morning, I would encourage you just to know that you can come forward and and receive prayer. You can come here and be real. If you have struggles in your life, it's okay. We're not here for the well. It's great if you are well. It's great if you're like Horatio Spafford and says, it is well with my soul. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But we're here for the sick as well. We're here for those who say, you know what? I don't know what lies beneath. And it worries me if my Titanic were to strike an iceberg. Some of you this morning feel like you have two or three or four slits in your six. And it's becoming evident. You're starting to sink a little. We're here to build you up, to edify you, to spur you on for the goodness of God's kingdom here upon this earth. We're here to be the church, the bride of Christ for the world today. Amen. Father God, thank you for each and every one. Lord, lead us by the power of your spirit. Encourage us, strengthen strengthen us, and transform us into your image, in your name. Amen.